0: defy thee my wife says that whenever we sing this in Franklin Square we always better expect trouble when you defy the devil he'll come after you Satan I defy thee death I now decry thee fear I bid thee cease world and remember what does Babylon represent the world world thou shalt not harm me nor thy threats alarm me while I sing of peace this is what Daniel's about God's great power guards every hour, earth and all its depths, adore him, silent bow before him. That's a commentary on what we'll be looking at in Daniel in the days ahead. Did you all sleep well? Sort of? Well, this morning we're going to learn about a king that didn't and some of his advisors who didn't either. Let's pray and we're going to do a little review of Daniel and... uh, then we'll get into the material for today. We're in Daniel chapter 2 and uh, in your booklets that you have, and I hope you will take some notes. I'm going to assume more the Sunday school teacher position this morning and uh, hope you don't mind in the evening my more interaction with the young people. I know I've got your attention, but I have to work to keep theirs. Uh, so, But in the daytime, I'll try to be more Sunday school teacher cap. We're on page 15, uh, Tuesday, June 18th, morning session 1. It was not just Martin Luther, the king, that had a dream. So did the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be our teacher this morning. As we study Daniel, may we see Yourself. As we learn of Daniel's prophecies, may we learn of Your kingdom. As we learn of the faithfulness of Daniel, prefiguring Yours. May we also realize in you that we too are to be faithful unto death, that we might receive the crown of life. Give your every blessing to the children as they learn. Our Lord, you have put your name upon them, and we know that we are at best but instruments of their discipleship. We pray that you, through their teachers, through their parents, would be their discipler in this week, that they would know what it is in faith and repentance to live up to the name that you have put on them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if I don't mention books at the beginning, I'll forget them. Um, for volumes on Daniel, I'm so thankful that Carrie was able to get Bible lessons on the book of Daniel by John Piersma. Uh, John Piersma, good friend, uh, was a minister for many years in the Christian Reformed Church. And his Bible lessons are excellent for you to go into more detail in the book of Daniel or to teach your children. Uh, This is a, I don't know how much this costs, but uh, it should be rather inexpensive. But that's a helpful guide. Now, a little more pricey, a little more detailed, but for those of you who want to study the book in depth, I think still the classic treatment is Edward J. Young's The Prophecy of Daniel. Uh, Dr. Young was, for many years, a professor of Old Testament at Westminster Seminary an excellent, excellent volume. I quote from him this morning and also John Calvin's volume on Daniel. Uh, very helpful in dealing with the prophecies as well. Uh, so this is a more pricey volume, $28.80. Uh, but if you're wanting a good, fulsome commentary from Calvin on Daniel, it's there. And then particularly with what I'm going to be dealing with this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the ways in which the Lord's people are meant uh, to bring truth to a world that really is at sea, and there are many volumes on this end of the table that deal with various aspects of that. Two that I would recommend: uh, one, uh, Ed Welch's excellent volume, "Addictions: A Banquet in the Grave." Now, our culture is addicted to addictions, and we don't even define what addictions are. Do any of you know biblically what's an addiction? You're going to you have to redefine things biblically. What, what's what's What is it? Idolatry. There's something else. If you're addicted to something, you are a a slave. And Ed Welch develops uh, addictions. You've got to define a problem biblically, which he does. And then he also then gives a biblical solution. So here's an example of confronting culture that can't give answers with the Word of God as it gives answers. And while I've not read this volume, I appreciate Alistair McGrath very much, glimpsing the face of God, the search for meaning in the universe, is a kind of thing that we're looking at uh, as we deal with people who can't explain the universe. So volumes like this are useful to develop the material for the morning. Now, let's do a quick review from last night. Um, And we'll be done. Hopefully you can have a little bit of time for questions here. Last night, remember, we began to draw the lines that structure the book of Daniel. And I realize some of that's difficult for the children, but I expect parents, when you're teaching, you can develop this a bit more yourselves. Babylon, remember, represents the world as it's manifested in any particular empire or kingdom. Our secular culture is a Babylon, as it were. And so it is Babylon over against, depending on how you look at it, either the faithful remnant of the church, which Daniel and his three friends were, or believers in the midst of a culture. And so it's at least the world over against believers. There is, by Babylon, an attempt to destroy the church of the Old Testament. It's an instrument of judgment from God's perspective. From man's perspective, it's the desire to wipe out the church. You're going to see that more or less in every culture. On the other hand, you see not first the faithfulness of God's people, but you see the faithfulness of God through His people. God will always have a faithful people in the world and God's blessing in preserving His church. So there's that line. Babylon, the world, over against the church. Another line in Daniel is the apologetic import of the book. I can't overstate to you that Daniel is a prophecy of God primarily to a secular world. It was written in Aramaic, at least the parts that we're covering, the language of the people. This was meant in some way so that the world of that day could look over the shoulder of God's people and get a message. That's why I think Daniel is such an important book for our day. And that apologetic import can be summarized in the words, the true God or the God is going to triumph over all pagan deities. Now, regardless of your millennial view, you must believe that, that however you view the future, the true and living God is going to triumph over all pagan deities. And that theme is dominant in chapter 2. Now, we come to chapter 2 today. You should have your Bibles open to it. Chapter 2 continues the introduction to the book of Daniel. The latter part, what we're going to cover in the next hour, is a symbolic representation of the future. And the further development of that will come later in Daniel. The earlier part, what we're going to cover now, is a clear example of the bankruptcy of Babylon as a culture that denied the true and living God. Okay, So in chapter 1, you have the pomp and the power of Babylon. In chapter 2, we go behind the scenes and you see the deflated balloon. And folks, if you could go behind the scenes of the movers and the shakers of our world, You would see many deflated balloons. As we look at it, people seem to be on top of things. They have their ducks in place. They know what they're doing. You get behind the scenes in the upper echelons of academia or the political world and you have people that when they're honest will admit to you, we don't know what we're doing. And you see that from God's perspective here. Now, we continue. On the surface, remember, you have these powers that seem untouchable, the apex of human progress and invincible, but underneath they have literally feet of clay. Ultimately, they are poor and doomed to collapse. When you sing Psalm 9, one of the psalms, one of the refrains that you sing is let the nations know truly that they are mere men. And that's what's being taught in Daniel chapter 2 and elsewhere. So now let's go to the text itself in verse 1 and verse 2. The king, you'll notice, verses 1 through 3, is losing sleep. We read in Daniel 2, it is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the successor to the beginner, the founder of the Neo-Babylonian Empire that was the apex of Babylonian power. If we date, and some people wonder how you date this, if we date 605 B.C., as the year in which Daniel and his friends were captured, in which their training began, that was the year that Nebuchadnezzar ascended to his power. 604 B.C. would be the first full year of his reign, second year of the training of the men. This would be, if we want to suggest a date, about 603 years before the birth of Christ. We are in the third year of the training of the men. Nebuchadnezzar knows about Daniel. Daniel apparently has some familiarity with this leader, Nebuchadnezzar, as is indicated later in the text. And so this is given time for Nebuchadnezzar and to get to know this Jewish guy, Daniel, who has some strange, quirky convictions, but that doesn't make any difference. He's still top of the class. And so in that second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, again about 603 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Now, there's two things you need to keep in mind about dreams. Number one, pagans are incredibly superstitious about dreams. Not like Americans, of course, who aren't superstitious about anything. When you had a particularly severe dream, a nightmare, or a severe nightmare, or you had the same dream many times over, and some believe that's what happened. Nebuchadnezzar had been dreaming the same dream over and over again. You knew there was something bad that was afoot. And in the nature of the case, you either had to have someone who could interpret the dream, or you lived in a tremendous state of angst. And so when you dream dreams as a pagan, scary thing. Also, though, dreams, remember, at this time, were a means by which God revealed himself. Now, God doesn't do that today. His former ways of revealing himself to his people have now ceased by special revelation. But remember that Pharaoh dreamed dreams and Joseph interpreted them and we're still in the same time period in which God would communicate to pagans by way of dreams. So both of these things are at work here. Remember God's providences are like Ezekiel's wheels. They're wheels within wheels. There's a couple things at least at work. And his dreams were so severe that his spirit was so troubled that his sleep... Went away. These were severe nightmares who brought him tremendous anxiety. And, brothers and sisters, anxiety is a work of God. We talk about an anxious, a fearful culture. And certainly, there are places for medication to help people get over anxiety so that at least you can communicate with them. But you don't ever tell an anxious person, don't just be anxious. Because anxiety is a trigger that something is wrong. In Christ, they may be told, fear not, for the Lord is with you. But when you're dealing here with an unbeliever, you don't simply say, just don't worry about anything. Probably a better thing to say to an unbeliever is say, you know, you're anxious. You ought to be a whole lot more anxious than you are if you knew what's coming to you if you die outside of Christ. And so anxiety is one of God's triggers here. It's interesting how anxiety is used in the Scriptures. You can think of Pilate who was himself a very anxious man wondering to do with this, what to do with this Nazarene, Jesus. And we read in Matthew 27 uh, that as he was wondering what to do with Jesus, his anxiety is compounded while he was sitting on the judgment seat. His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And so God was working there as He's working here in Nebuchadnezzar. I remind you that God is sovereign over even the dreams that people have. You cannot escape from God. Nebuchadnezzar could not. Thankfully, he had someone who did not try to escape from God, but who knew Him. Hardened Saul saw the armies of the Philistines, and he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. When people are anxious, they'll seek help anywhere. Anxiety is a trigger. There's something wrong. People made in the image of God having to live in a very fearful world to them will look anywhere for help. Saul looked for mediums. Watch exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does. Then the king gave command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And that's a very important phrase. We'll get to that in a moment. To tell the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. The king called upon his wizards. And that's exactly what these were. These were people who in various areas supposedly had some kind of insight into the natural world so they could help the king get over his anxieties. The astrologers who had insight into the stars that supposedly controlled our fates. The sorcerers who could understand mysterious things that worked in our being and could figure out why those particular things happened. And the Chaldeans was a term simply for the wise people of that day. Now, I'm being facetious when I say this, but remember, we're not like this at all. and We don't do kind of these kinds of things in our own day. For example, the diviners were necromancers. They would use the body parts of dead people to try to discern the future. Or, for example, the magicians had insight, and the astrologers, into how the stars predict the future. This was the upper echelon of Babylon's academia in the Chaldeans that the king called. And what did he want? Verse 3 And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. He was anxious, he wants to know the answer, and then the Chaldeans, the wise people of the day, spoke to the king in Aramaic, the language of the people. O King, live forever. Now you want to mark that phrase. Because later in this chapter, there's going to be an implicit rebuke to that. O King, live forever. O King, you're eternal. That's idolatry. Watch how it's going to be rebuked in this book that rebukes idolatry. Now watch how clever they are. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. These are the Harvard economists of Babylon. These are the chair people of the Federal Reserve Board of Babylon. These are the teams of sociologists from the prestigious universities of Babylon. This is Nebuchadnezzar's special commission on Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. All of the Chaldeans, the wise people of that day, and they say, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. Now this is very easy to understand. Whether you do it on the internet with Encarta or with the internet or the, or, or the CD-ROM or the Encyclopedia Britannica on CD-ROMs, it's the same thing. Your children are given an assignment in school. You need to give me a report on Kenya. And that is very mysterious to your children. They don't know where it is. They don't know what it is. They don't even know why they're given the assignment. But there is something called An encyclopedia. And if they can look in the encyclopedia, they will be able to regurgitate to the teacher all the information necessary about Kenya. That's what makes these assignments so unusual. All you've got to do is look these things up in the encyclopedia and give the stuff back to the teachers. That's why kids complain about busy work. Now we have our Encyclopedia Britannica. At that time, they had their Encyclopedia Dreamannica. There are literally, we have found some of these volumes written in cuneiform wedge type alphabet in which there are interpretations of common dreams that people had. Totally unlike anything we do in our culture today, right? I mean, you would never in a million years find in our libraries books that can tell you how to interpret dreams. Just check your local library or check the internet and you'll find our volumes for these things. And so they're clever. They said, you just tell us the dream and then we'll go and we'll check our Encyclopedia Dramanica and we'll come back and we'll tell you exactly what your dream means. But the king is even more clever. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. Now when a king said this, Amen, don't argue with me. You know parents when you say to your children, now don't you argue with me, my mind is made up, that's it. That's exactly what he did. My decision is firm. If you don't make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you tell me what I dreamed and its interpretation. Nice king. You will be cut in pieces and your houses will be made an ash heap. Now at that time, words meant things. That's different from our culture for real. When the king, remember the king was the voice of God. The belief was that the God's work themselves out through the nation and particularly the leader. And these people had a higher view of the word of God's than we do often of the word of God. My decision is firm. Thus says Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, I'm going to cut you from limb to limb and I am going to take your houses and everything that is in it, wives and children, the idea of the house, and level them all to the ground. Nice king. And ancient Babylon records represent that when a king made those threats, he usually carried them out. And so the wizards are going to try again. He says, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So there's, covenant curse and covenant blessing, the way the kings in that day spoke. So they figured they're going to try again with the king. By this time, I think they're a little bit antsy, but they figure we'll give them a go-around again. They answered and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. So the king answered and said, I know for certain that you'd gain time, because you see that my decision is firm." If you don't make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, because you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, you tell me the dream, then I'll know that you can give me its interpretation. I don't want to read too much into this, but I get the sense that the king knows that these people are phony balonies as most people do after a while. Why do you think people change advisors so quickly? they go to a certain financial advisor, a certain wizard to make you rich. A few years later, they change the financial advisor because that financial advisor didn't know everything. Go to a certain medical doctor because you've got a very confusing ailment, and you'll eventually go to another medical doctor because that medical doctor didn't know, right? Exactly like Nebuchadnezzar. And this man is afraid. This dream was a dream of a nightmare. Of course, when you see the dream, as we'll learn in the next unit. I think Nebuchadnezzar was aware. This was speaking of the demise of his kingdom. And he doesn't want these people pulling the wool over his eyes. And so he says, no way. The decision is firm. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. And this is a pretty pickle for the wizards. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after other gods. And that's true. And they know that their sorrows will be very greatly hastened if they don't come up with some solution to the problem. Now, verses 10 and 11 is a very important admission that's given in here. The Chaldeans, these are the Harvard experts. These are the Yale-trained people from Babylon who know all the answers. These are the sages. These are the most brilliant people of that culture. They are the epitome of what Babylonian rep- wisdom represented. Hence, they're called Chaldeans, synonym for Babylonians. So the Chaldeans answered the king and said, Now listen. There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. That's the truest statement that was uttered by the court magicians. No king, no matter how great, can command such a thing. Babylon's edifice is crumbling because they needed insight into something that they could not see. It's a difficult thing. It's a rare thing. We would say it is an impossible thing that the king requests. And there's no other who can tell it to the king, listen, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Only by divine intervention can such understanding come. And the gods can possibly refer, as some believe, to the true God But the point here is that the wizards admitted that they were not in touch with the true God. You talk to a medical doctor who is at least really fully honest and he'll say to you, we don't know what makes a person well. We don't know what makes a person live in a healthy way. We don't know those things we can only work with symptoms and even an honest quote unquote unbelieving scientist ought to say we really don't know where the universe came from we don't know why these things are here and again if a person is at least by the grace of God and the goodness of God made to be that honest They'll say exactly what the wizards did when they were under pressure. It is impossible for us to know these things. So the wizard's edifice is beginning to crumble. Just as today, people seek to see the knowledge of spiritual things in the created order, and they cannot come up with ultimate answers. I'll tell you where you see this most graphically in our culture. All of the discussion and debate, and it is heavy-duty discussion and debate, about cloning and genetic engineering. You have people who want to work with molecular structures, genetic makeup, when they don't even know what that life is that they're dealing with. And that's what makes the issue so difficult and so scary. Now, these wizards are brought to realize that in Babylon's culture. Nebuchadnezzar lived in the world He should have realized there should be people who know something beyond this world. But as yet, he would not bring in others to help. So, here's the response. For this reason, because these people said, we don't know how to give you an answer. We can't tell you your dream. And only a God that we don't know can answer this. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious. And very furious means very furious. And he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them because they were linked with the wise men. Now here you cannot help but think of a later king, can't you? A later king who also had a very unsatisfying experience with some wise men who came to him. And that... King became exceedingly angry and set forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. Because when people have to deal with God, a God they cannot dominate, if they will not submit in humility, they will rebel in fury. And because they can't rebel in fury against God in His essence, they will rebel in fury against people made in the image of God. That was why an Adolf Hitler sought to put to death many of the leading intellectuals who were not of his own Aryan makeup. They were a threat to him. And so the king would rage against God by raging against these men. Frederick Nietzsche, who was a very wicked and blasphemous philosopher of a previous generation who hated God, said at one point in his hatred of God, if there is a God, how can I bear not to be that God? And so here is the raging of Nebuchadnezzar. But, remember there's a lot of themes in here. Bankruptcy of the world. The world's going to persecute the church and now you see how it impinges on the persecution of faithful people. But the Lord, and this is in your notes, you can fill it in, the Lord's doing something. The Lord is protecting His people. Big important theme in the minor prophets, in the major prophets. Here you have Israel and Judah vanquished. These are the covenant people. God is is to bring His Messiah, Jesus, from these covenant people. They're not all to be wiped out. And so the Lord is going to preserve His line. The Lord is preserving His people. In fact, that's probably the most important theme in Daniel, is that the Lord is preserving His people even in the midst of a wicked world. And so, as Daniel and his friends realize that their time may be short, they respond. Verse 14, Then with counsel and wisdom... Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, another superintendent watching over them, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. Now remember, this is all written in Aramaic. And conceivably, the nations looking over Israel's shoulder at times can read this. And essentially this section is saying, watch and you see how Babylon gets out of this mess. And they're going to get out of that mess through the Lord's people who inquire of this leader. These boys had not been consulted. They were still the low men on the totem pole, so to speak. It was the wisest of the wise who were to be brought in over against the peons that the Israelites were. And so they answer with counsel and with wisdom. Very important lessons. Jeremiah and Daniel, among other things, give lessons about how God's people are meant to respond in a wicked culture. The New Testament says a number of things about that. As much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. And folks, peace doesn't mean just the absence of hostility. Peace or shalom is fullness of blessing. As much as lies within you, seek to bring a fullness of blessing to all around you and holiness, without which no man shall seize the Lord. How wise God is in giving His Word. You seek to see the good of people around you, but you never do it in such a way that your own separateness and holiness to God is jeopardized. We have people who say today, you can do anything. So long as you show yourself a good Christian witness to the world and their holiness is compromised. That's what happens in too much worship today. On the other hand, you can speak people who say, we want to be so holy and separate from the world, they don't seek the good of those around them. And Daniel has a beautiful model. He will not defile himself, he's holy, but he along with the Israelites in Babylon who were told by Jeremiah to pray and seek the peace of the nation in which they live, for in its peace you will have peace. Daniel responds in a particular way. He answers with counsel and with wisdom. He speaks to the one in authority with tact, with discretion, and with care. He is not a blustering saint. He is, if you will, an Old Testament Christian gentleman. He knows the soft tongue breaks the bone. Is that moralism? No. Daniel had been brought up learning the Proverbs and the Psalms And the piety of those expressions affected him. A soft tongue breaks the bone. A word fitly spoken. In due season, how good it is. So with counsel and with wisdom, walking in the fear of the Lord, Daniel makes a plea to Ariok. Why is this so severe? Daniel went in, verse 16, and asked the king, to give him time. And whether that was done to a representative or personally, he said, please, give us a chance. Give us the opportunity to try to help. Let us try to help. As a Christian, have you ever thought about doing that in your culture? Girls who become pregnant because of promiscuity. And it's very, very easy to look down upon a person who becomes pregnant and to look down even more if that girl gets an abortion. Have you ever asked yourself, what could I do to help? That's what Daniel did. He knew that there were terrible judgments that were going to come on these people. And so as a believer in Jehovah whose goodness is meant to draw people to himself, He says, let me be an instrument of that goodness. When you see situations in which young people, being products of so much of the public education in our land, become a mess, do you simply say, yeah, there it is, secular education proves them right for denying God? Or do you say, you know, maybe there's some things we can do to help you and show you a constructive alternative"? I'd suggest if you want a good evangelistic opportunity in our Babylon, it's that kind of a thing. And so Daniel goes in and says, please, give us time so that we might be able to give you the interpretation. And so in verses 17 and 18, apparently that's granted, Daniel went to his house and made a decision known to, now notice that the Jewish names, not the Babylonian names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and parents, teach these to your children, because they're going to get quizzed on these tonight, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Oh, how pietistic can you get? Here's an opportunity to impose the law of God upon Babylon. And what do they do? They waste their time by calling a prayer meeting. That's exactly what they did. They said, let's pray. Jeremiah twenty nine four through seven. You pray for the peace of the land in which you dwell. And folks, there's nothing more important you can do at the beginning of things than to pray that the Lord intervene. These were godly people. Don't you call it pietistic when people say we need to pray about ah pietistic? can you get, well, that's pietism. We need more of it. And so they have a prayer meeting. And notice how beautiful that prayer is that they offered. It was prayer that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. Not just mercies for themselves, because their necks were on the line, but mercies for others who were going to be affected concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Israel. They were concerned for their own necks, but they were concerned for others as well. They sought mercies from the Lord, from the true God who rules over all the heavens, whose dwelling is not with flesh, who alone can show the king these secrets. And so Daniel and his friends would not perish because Christians are salt in the earth. I hear Christians say, oh, what we really need is persecution. That's the thing we should pray for. Let there be a bloodbath in the land and then things will be better. What a twisted way to pray. Even watching too many horror movies. You say, Lord God, let us be as a retardant of evil and iniquity in the world. That's what they pray for. That they might be salt and light. Salt to retard wickedness and to retard death and light so they can interpret the dream so that we might know the secret of these things. And what's the result in verse 19? Then... After they prayed the secret was revealed to Daniel notice it comes in another dream in a night vision they prayed apparently they went to sleep we don't know how much longer it was maybe that night Daniel gets a dream but he gets a dream from the one who knows how to interpret the dream and so Daniel did not first go to Nebuchadnezzar knock on the door and say I got it I got the answer First thing he said is, Thank You, Lord, that You gave us the answer to the dream. Daniel answered and said, now note the first part of verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Verse 4, The Chaldeans, the wise people, the sages, who were toadies to Nebuchadnezzar, spoke to the king in his own tongue, saying, "O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll give the interpretation." Daniel blessed the name of God. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For we don't need to find the dream from Nebuchadnezzar. Wisdom and might are yours. The wizards were correct. Only the true God could show the matter to the king. But the wizards were incorrect. There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. And the Lord's going to rebuke those wizards through this. And so they pray. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Not from the gods, not from the moon god, not from Baal, but from the true and living God. Who is that God? He is the one who changes the times and the seasons because that's what the dream is all about. People wonder what's going to happen in time. People will say, I don't so much fear death as I fear dying. And this was Nebuchadnezzar's fear what was going to happen to him? And Daniel says, Oh God, you're the one who will change the times and the seasons for Nebuchadnezzar and everyone else. He removes kings and raises up kings. Nebuchadnezzar would have to learn and he will learn very powerfully that he is subordinate to the king of kings. And he gives wisdom to the wise. Who were the Chaldeans? They were the wise people of that day. They were the PhDs, the great scholars who were the great repositories of wisdom. And Daniel says, God is the one Who gives wisdom and i say this with great respect for those who have worked hard to earn their doctorates and their advanced degrees and when people do work not all do but when you do that to do it that's a great thing i say this respectfully if you're a phd and you don't know the true and living god you're a fool and that's exactly what daniel's saying lord you are the one who gives wisdom and knowledge to those who have understanding He reveals deep and secret things. We don't need to ask Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is. God will tell it to us. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. He is the author and the interpreter of all history. He is the giver of special revelation, deep and secret things. I thank You and praise You, O God of my fathers. Daniel was a covenant child. Isn't that glorious? Don't you love hearing your children and your grandchildren say that? I follow the God of my father. I follow the God of my grandfather and my grandmother. O oh God of my fathers, You have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of You. For You have made known to us the king's demand. God had given to Daniel on behalf of the people of God exactly what? They needed. Now, what are the lessons you learn at that point? Number one, this is in your little booklet. You can write these down. First note, the Lord's protecting His people. That's the first thing He's doing. Babylon one day is going to be judged. But God's got His people there, particularly Daniel, and Daniel's got work to do, and so do his friends. I mean, his friends have got to get thrown in the furnace. And so the Lord's going to protect them to be thrown in the furnace. you realize that the Lord is protecting us for our trials? The Lord's protecting you from dying so you might go through trial. So that you might prove the power of God. The Lord's protecting His people. That's the first thing. And I remind you, the only reason we have human history is so the Lord will save His people and keep them. Christ has given as head over all things for the sake of His church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. All of human history is a scaffolding for the Lord building his church. The Lord's protecting his people. He was also showing what? His supremacy to idols, his superiority to idols. That's why books like Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, Finding Hope in the Power of the Gospel, Christ is Superior to the Idols of Our Own Bodies. That's the lesson. He was also showing his superiority to idols. Now, let me give you two lines of application. We'll take a few minutes. We can either break early or get a question or two if you want. Two lines of application. Number one, you should see in this, as in so many other portions of Holy Scripture, the bankruptcy of the world's culture. Glitzy, glorious, pomp, circumstance, of the Babylon of the world, you need to see here in microcosm the bankruptcy of the world's culture. Today, we have instant access to almost every kind of information. I mean, as a pastor, nothing shocks me very much, but even I am astounded at how quickly you can get access to so much information from around the world within literally a matter of seconds, you could consume all of your time that's awake, if you had insomnia even that time, in front of the Internet, until the Lord separates your soul from your body. And you just begin to scratch the surface of all that you can learn. But what do you do with all that stuff? You know, the big question to ask for people, oh, I've got this internet connection, and look at how quickly with this IT connection, I can get access to South Africa, and get access to China, get access to all the look at all the information I can put. And you're in awe at this massive screen with all of the material and the links. And in two words, you can deflate them. So what? What do you do with all this stuff? And they don't know what to do with all this stuff. Because you're so looking at all the stuff. But it's very bad to worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. And that's exactly what the wizards in Babylon did. They worshipped and served body parts. Well, we don't do that today. Palm readers? worshipped and serve the stars. We don't do that today. Look at how many people, look at the, even Christians. The horoscope comes. They believe that from the human body there was an absolute, sure guarantee of what's going to come. We don't do that today. i got a cell phone that will give me my biorhythms for the day to tell me what I'm supposed to do and not do. See? The more things change, the more they stay the same. And it's all bankrupt. Bankrupt! Remember what the Bible says? The one who has no fear of God before his eyes is a what? Is a and so the first lesson seeing this the bankruptcy of the world's culture as E.J. Young put it those who like the magicians of Babylon have no room in their thinking for the one true God can never rightly interpret any revelation which He has given and young people if you have unbelieving teachers you don't spurn them you don't mock them God gave them to you but ultimately they don't know how to connect the dots and see that God is the one that drew the picture. And there's bankruptcy ultimately in that second lesson. Remember, incidentally, this is the second lesson, but you notice how God doesn't leave the world in bankruptcy either. It's not that God says, All right, Babylon, you're bankrupt. Now live with it and sin." You've got Daniel right there to speak. One of the writers in Daniel, Herman Belkamp, said, What is the gospel but the point at which human misery and divine mercy meet? I love that. What is the Gospel but the point at which human misery, an anxious, insomniac king and wise people in Babylon who are afraid they and their children are going to be wiped out? Human misery and divine mercy meet. Second lesson. Look at the golden opportunity for the church that's given in lesson form here to a world that says, no man on earth can reveal truth to us. What's the ultimate reason behind all this stuff on the internet? Ah, whatever. Nobody knows. It doesn't make any difference. You say it does make a big difference because God's going to hold you accountable for how you respond to every bit and bite of information given to you. And if all you're really saying is whatever, why are you so concerned about how quickly you can access it? Look at a church, the golden opportunity for the church to say to the world, let me tell you about Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. The God became flesh and dwelt among us, repository of all knowledge, repository of all grace, repository of all hope, and repository of the life that you need. What Daniel is given in a vision form here as its concentration in the Lord Jesus who was the one who knew what was in the heart of man because he also knew the very heart of God. And so we know the truth and present it. The Apostle Paul said, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery which none of the rulers of this age know. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, we have received not the Spirit of the world. And my friends, if your Christianity is a contours of the way an unbelieving world looks at things more than the way the Word of God speaks, then you've got the Spirit of Babylon and not the Spirit of Christ. I get a little bit concerned when I hear people saying, Christ, 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 Christ. He say, but you know, the Word of God that speaks about Christ says this. Well, we preach Christ. Let's be careful not to be legalistic. Our Christ said man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the Christ that we preach is the one who at virtually every point said, it is written. It is written. This is done that it might fulfill what is written. And you be careful of, yes, it is true, abstracting Christ from the Word so that we become moralists. But you be very careful, especially my preacher friends, of abstracting the Word from Christ and making Jesus Christ the kind of platonic image that people are meant to look to like a hot air balloon, our Lord Jesus Christ confirmed the words, even the words that Daniel spoke. Look at the golden opportunity for the church. The true God has deposited His wisdom for us in the Scriptures. And so we can say, as some of these books, Ed Welch, Alistair McGrath and others let me tell you what the God who is the author of all wisdom tells us in his book and then I think you'll get a little bit of an idea of what Daniel did but here's the secret if you're going to do it you better have a prayer meeting and you better pray that the Lord God enable you to say the right thing at the right way at the right time and you watch as you dare to be a Daniel, how the Lord will enable you to say in a gracious way, don't you see how by the cross the wisdom of this world is made foolishness by God? Well, we're going to find out how Daniel did that. But let's break. It is 9, I know you need to use the bathroom and you need to get a cup of coffee. Let's stand. Let's pray real quickly and we'll break. Father in heaven, We pray that you will impress these things upon us. May we learn them and that we might be encouraged by them and that we might make application of them as we go forth to serve. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.